0: Insight podcast with myself, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe, and Tom Gallen, Managing Editor, Europe. Today we're going to talk about CBD, which is appearing everywhere in food supplements and foods. Since the beginning of last year, when CBD was classed as novel food by the European Commission, the news hasn't stopped, has it Tom?
1: No, that's right, Dave. Um, and I think the biggest Biggest piece of news we've seen over the last few months was the bombshell the commission dropped over the summer, um, where they announced they were considering making a, a U turn on the position that CBD was a novel food, um, suggesting that it could actually be a narcotic.
0: Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. That must have been quite a shock to all those uh, companies that have been preparing their novel food dossiers. Do you want to say a little bit more about uh, what's happened then with that, Tom?
1: Yeah, sure. So HBW uh, actually approached um, the commission about this where, when the news was, um, was breaking. Um, and a spokesperson told us that it was the commission's preliminary view that CBD extracted from the flowering and fruiting tops of the hemp plants should be considered as a narcotic. Um, So in reflecting this sort of change of heart, the Commission uh, has actually paused over 50 um, novel food applications, um, which had previously been submitted under the novel foods regulation. So if CBD is not regulated as a food and is instead judged to be a narcotic, it would therefore become a controlled drug. Um, eliminating the possibility of CBD being sold legally in dietary supplements across the EU and only synthetic CBD would be um, eligible for novel food approval. Um, The commission uh, spokesperson uh, in explaining this decision said that the assessment was based on the fact that extracts and tinctures of cannabis uh, are listed in schedule one of the United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs 1961, um, s- which is interesting. Um, so, while cannabis is listed in the UN, um, there are moves underway to loosen restrictions on CBD. And the WHO actually um, has recommended a host of amendments uh, last year, including the removal of es- extracts and tinctures of cannabis. Um, which would essentially declassify them entirely and the rationale for this move is because certain preparations may have varying levels of THC, um, have no psychoactivity and actually be therapeutic.
0: That's interesting so isn't the decision or the preliminary decision by the European Commission a little bit premature?
1: I mean it does seem to be that way and um, to us at HPW Insight and, um, you know, people, various people we spoke to across the industry. um, Because you know, we've got this um, move to kind of alter the UN conventions and there was supposed to be a a meeting on this and a vote, um, but it's being pushed back, but it will actually, um, it's looking to, looking like it'll take place now at the start of uh, December and what the um, what the UN you know determine could basically um, you know set the path forward for the commission. Mm. So,
0: do you think that they're actually going to wait until um, until the UN you know revisits this before they actually make a final decision?
1: I would be surprised if they came out beforehand with the decision uh considering how close we are now to the um to the UN meeting. Mm. Um, and and, uh, and we we know up to up to this point that the commission's position remains unchanged. We know they haven't made a decision um you know at time of recording. Um because only 2 days ago um, in response to a, a European Parliament to question the commission again, um, reiterated it was their prelim- pre- preliminary view that CBD, um, extracted from the flowering and fruiting tops of the hemp plant was covered by the Narcotics Convention.
0: So, um, what's going on then around Europe, uh, With this, in the meantime, um, I mean, what? So, in the UK, for example, uh, which has left the European Union and is now sorting out its uh, regulatory relationship um, with the with the European Union uh, medicines and food uh, departments. What's going on there?
1: Well, I think, from what we understand, the FSA who regulate foods in uh, in the UK, will once, you know, once the transition period for the UK leaving the EU is over on the 1st of January, they are, you know, pressing ahead, going to press ahead with the novel food um, classification of CBD, which, you know, if 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 then the Commission, you know, confirms its preliminary view, you'd see, you know, the UK basically moving on a a different path to the rest of Europe um, and the UK, which is already the biggest CBD market in Europe, would, you know, have a significant um, advantage and, you know, appeal to companies um, to, to take their products there because of the, you know, much lower um, uh, sort of requirements for uh, f- for approval.
0: Mm-hmm. And in a minute, we're going to talk to uh, Greer Deal from Global Regulatory Services uh, about that particular point, because uh, she's argued that, uh, you know, where there's some confusion at EU level, the pathway in the UK is clear, reinforcing what you've just said, Tom. But before we do that, um, are there, what about the other kind of major markets? Uh, I know in, in Germany, they've taken a reasonably hard line on f- level foods uh, regulation. Um, although, you know, as uh, other places, there's still been products on the market um, and there's been some attempt to, you know, crack down on illegal CBD supplements. But, um, but I think the situation there has been similar where, you know, it's kind of carried on in the meantime. Uh, but there hasn't been a reaction there to the to the narcotics uh, decision so far. What about France? You, I think you wrote something about France, didn't you,
1: Tom? Yeah, so France, France is an interesting one. And, and actually, there's a, a court case ongoing in relation to France, which could really sort of put the cat amongst the pigeons um, with regard to how, CBD is classified uh, going forward. So there was um, a case which um, the Advocate General of the European Court of Justice um, made a ruling on. I think it's just I think it was around May, just just at the start of of uh, summer this year. Um, and this this case was. Um, brought by a, by a French court against marketeers of an e-cigarette which contained CBD, CBD oil uh, extracted from the whole hemp plant. Um, and the CBD in the product, which was a can product, was imported from the Czech Republic where the hemp plant was cultivated. Mm. Um, but French legislation um, restricts the cultivation, importation and exportation um, and um, of uh, hemp solely to its fibre and seeds. So in this um, opinion issued by the Advocate General, um, he said that France France's attempt to effectively ban the sale of hemp-derived CBD was contrary to European Union law. Um, and he said that uh, such a ban wasn't appropriate for protecting human health, which had been the Argument of the French Court uh, to quote uh, since CBD oil appears not to possess any psychotropic effects. So we now know that on the nineteenth of November, the European Court of Justice will issue its decision on uh, in this case, and often, uh, you know in most cases, the uh, court follows the opinion of the Advocate General, which would basically confirm that the French ban on hemp-derived CVD is contrary to EU law. Mm. So um, this
0: could really set a precedent then, Cause
1: Yeah, some absolutely. problems
0: for uh, the European Commission, potentially.
1: Yeah, it really could. And, and, and you know, most likely required to uh, abolish such a ban and replace it with less restrictive and more proportionate measures. Um and as you say that could really serve as a as a precedent um you know regarding restrictions related to hemp derived products and also um the free movement of goods across the EU. So, you know, that's another, you know, date for the door. it's something to really watch out for. Mm. Um you know, that followed up a couple of weeks later by the you know, the UN meeting. So at the moment the the, you know the the position is you know as clear as mud really when it comes to EU and when it comes to CBD in the EU Mm. but hopefully after these two um, you know important dates before the end of the year things will become a lot more clearer.
0: Well you'd expect so but then you know it was thought that it was clear when the European Commission decided to um, put CBD in the novel foods register. <laughs> so, um, who knows what will happen so in terms of you know who's uh you know doing things with c b d at the moment i mean are the are the big consumer health firms where's what are the, what are they what have they done in this space so far? have we got some products from these companies already, or are they looking to enter
1: so yeah, it's kind of a kind of a mixed bag. Um, we've seen certain companies have already, um, you know, entered the market, um, for example, Stada through their subsidiary, uh, one of their subsidiaries, they've, um, launched CBD products. And then you've got, you know, someone like Perigo, um, you know, big multinational, uh, consumer health player who's, you know, looking into the, uh, been exploring the opportunity and I think recently has made um, made a sort of strategic partnership in the area but I, th- I believe that's more um, focused on the US mm-hmm. um, which is obviously uh, having similar discussions as are going on in the EU about how to regulate CBD
0: yeah yeah and we're gonna try and catch up with uh, our colleagues in the u.s to uh, to get the low down there uh, in the next in a future podcast um, Star as an interesting one though isn't it because we kind of found out about that um, through interviewing um, the the managing director of the the nature's aid subsidiary like you say and it turns out they've been uh they've been marketing cbd oils for a while mm-hmm. um, kind of under the radar a little bit yeah but are also you know they're they're trying to get well I mean you know they're getting up to date with the regulations they've got their novel food application in uh, and I assume that you know their application is also on pause Um, but it must be a really difficult you know kind of market to get into if you're a big company you don't want to you know risk your reputation um, on an unregulated even if it's you know very lucrative uh, kind of bit of the consumer health Uh, market but yeah it must be difficult to know you know when to make a move and how to do it really
1: yeah absolutely and i think the um you know one of the key things is the novel food route is not inexpensive Mm. um you know companies have to invest a lot to make sure they, you know have all the data required to you know, achieve um, novel food approval from EFSA, mm. um, and you know, I believe you know, you yourself, Dave, have spoken to a number of companies of you know before the sort of bombshell from the Commission about um, you know it's, it's preliminary narcotics view that had already you know invested a lot of time and money into these applications.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, a bit, and these are and some of the smaller companies that I've spoken yeah. to you know where the risk is a lot bigger because um, you know they haven't got the they haven't got the resources of a of a larger consumer health company but then you've got you know companies like uh, dragonfly bioscience that have invested in the whole you know controlling the whole supply chain so uh, in one in one sense you know, the risk is bigger but they've got a, they've got a bit more flexibility as to how they generate that data mm. so it's quite interesting the different uh, approaches that we've seen so far isn't it
1: yeah it is I mean I, I you know obviously driving the whole market is the potential of of CBD mm. um, you know we've seen you know from the sort of surveys that we've reported on um, of consumers in, in the EU and in the US um, you know scores have of, of already sort of began using cbd regularly Mm. um spending and you know spending you know significant amounts each month on it and they're taking it for uh you know myriad reasons um i mean for example exactly yeah i mean i think that's another um conversation um to be had around you know the uh you know the efficacy of cbd for all of these different conditions i think you've written about the need for more um studies to actually mm. look at the, you know low dose cbd and and what it what you know what effects it can what effects it can actually have
0: yeah there was a really interesting study um by natalie golden and colleagues that looked at all of the different uh, regulatory approaches um across kind of key markets key western markets um that was published in HPW Insight a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, one of the things that they kind of concluded was um, that there was a there was a real lack of evidence for low dose CBD. Mm-hmm. So there's you know there are uh, there's a prescription CBD medicine approved uh, in the UK, for example, for a specific form of epilepsy, if I remember rightly, uh, but that's an extremely high dose. So the, the, the products that, you know, are on the market now as food supplements are really low doses. So, you know, low risk uh, as far as the evidence so far has shown, although, you know, some risk from basically from products that don't contain what they say they contain. Uh, you all have like, you know, things in there that shouldn't be in there. Um, because That's more of a quality issue than anything. But, yeah, in terms of the doses, that the dose of CBD that are in those products are so low that, you know, whether or not they even have an effect Mm. Um, and the evidence so far isn't there, but that's just mainly because there aren't the studies. So I think that's going to be the major stumbling block. And and interestingly in Australia, they've taken a different approach in terms of an OTC CBD uh, market. You know, the TGA there have been exploring uh, you know the, the medicines kind of angle through a switch, so they're just currently uh, on the way to switching CBD low dose CBD from prescription to OTC, non prescription status, pharmacist only. Um, but you know the challenge there is going to be that if there's going to if there's going to be a OTC products in Australia, it's going to have to get registered and do the studies mm-hmm. um, and. It, you know, it might not be the case. I mean, on the one hand that, you know, that anyone wants to invest in those studies, because like I said, they're expensive. But on the other hand, you know, whether there is actually any efficacy there. Um, and if there isn't, then, you know, maybe we won't see an OTC CBD medicine. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but, you know, in back to the EU, what we've seen is a kind of strategic approach haven't we on the on the part of the smaller cbd specialist companies where they're getting together and, uh, and forming consortia yeah. to um, to undertake these studies collectively to kind of spread the costs a bit so you know that's another that's another approach and we'll just have to see again whether they'll find anything
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, at the moment in the in in Europe, the number one thing on the agenda is just you know getting some sort of regulatory certainty, isn't it? Um, because until companies have that and understand what is the pathway to get CBD supplements to market, um, you know, there's there's little point investing um, in sort of further studies and other and other things is that they need to know that their investment um that they've made to date is is you know going to going to um you know pay off
0: be worth it well, i mean yeah, you know definitely. these kind of turnarounds by the european commission don't really help build confidence today
1: <laughs> no absolutely and, and and you know i think we've often spoken before about the the speed at, at which, uh, you know, EU bodies tend to operate, mm. um, you know, it's not really conducive to, you know, a fast moving um, market such as, as CBD.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're going to now talk to Greer Deal, who's going to tell us a little bit more about why she thinks uh, that the UK has, uh, has really been a beacon for uh, how to navigate a complicated um, changing regulatory landscape and and make it possible to to potentially do business in a post-Brexit landscape. Uh, Hi Greer, how are you?
2: I'm doing fine, thank you, especially in these crazy times, (laughs) but it's not all COVID related. It's no. um here you know we're talking about c b d and my goodness, there's so many changes going on
0: there are indeed, yes, I was just talking to my colleague Tom about that um so we've recently spoken um about the kind of new develops in new developments in the c b d industry in Europe and in the u k um and this is something you've been working on for a while um. Yeah with um, global regulatory services. So we did we did a recent article where you argued that despite all of this confusion at the EU level, some of which we've talked about, um, you know, with it first being regulated as a novel food and now, you know, the European Commission has decided that maybe it should be a narcotic. Um, actually, the UK pathway is relatively clear. Um, would you be able to explain this, why you think this and the implications for, especially for consumer health companies um, that are already operating in the EU, UK or or are thinking about entering?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you've already said, um, the EU Commission has paused um, all naturally derived CBD novel food applications because they're now considering that CBD may actually be a narcotic um, as per the 1961 Narcotics Convention. Um, But in the UK, um, they they have very clearly said that they do not consider CBD to be a narcotic. And this is actually driven by the um, UK Home Office, who has said CBD, no, that's not a narcotic because it is CBD. Um, it's a bit different if it's got psychoactives um, included in the uh, in the product as well. So because it's not a, it, so the Home Office has said not a narcotic. The MHRA, which is the UK's regulatory authority, has said, well, if you're not making any medicinal claims um, around your CBD, then it's definitely not a medicine. So by default, it then becomes a food, <laughs> And as we know, um, the, the UK FSA has agreed with the EU Commission's original statement that CBD is novel and therefore the novel food regulation applies. So this is the, the UK stance right now. Um, because we are still part of um, Europe, the UK FSA can't formally accept novel food applications But what they are encouraging is for companies to submit informally so that the FSA can provide them with feedback to improve the the quality of the dossiers and and the data that's that's in there. So it's a really good learning curve. And I think it's a good learning curve for companies as well as for the UK FSA. As from the 1st of January next year, because Brexit will have happened by then, Mm Um, the FSA can then accept um, the novel food applications direct and formally um, for the UK market. So we have companies at the moment who um, were looking at Europe as their total market, which included um, the UK. Now, of course, Europe is paused, but the UK is still open for business. So this is the opportunity. Um, and it's an opportunity that many companies are embracing. The UK is a big market. The population is open to CBD. You know, there's there's year-on-year growth um, in this sector anyway. So it's it's gaining popularity. So, so, you know, it's great that the UK is open for business, and actually it's one of the positives of Brexit that's mm-hmm. come about, so, <laughs> which is great. Um, what is interesting, though, is... Um, the the, the the CBD sector is quite complex because you have the CBD um, providers of, of the suppliers of the raw ingredient. So so they're doing novel food applications, but then you have the the finished product uh, companies so that who are using those raw ingredients. And um, we often get asked, well. You know, should we put it in our own novel food application or can we piggyback onto the ingredient suppliers to keep costs down? We're saying it's actually better to piggyback onto your suppliers. But then um, that actually can put the finished product manufacturer in a vulnerable position. Um, because they're tied into their C- CBD supplier. And as I've already discussed with you in, in, on previous occasions, you know, what happens if that CBD supplier goes under or decides not to be in the market anymore for whatever reason? Then you actually don't have this mechanism provided by the UK F- FSA, where if you have product on the, already on the market, you can stay on the market. You then become new product which means you're not supposed to be on the market and you have to go through the full novel food application process, which is at least two years. Mm. So just to explain to to anyone, to the people listening, the the UK FSA has brought in this mechanism of um, protecting product which is already on the market. So anything that was already on the market on the 13th of February 2020 and prior can stay on the market as long as there's no change. Um, And as long as there is no change and they submit a dossier to the UK FSA to be validated and is validated by the end of March next year, then that product can stay on the market. But that doesn't mean the product has been approved. Mm. It's just that the dossier has been validated. So the UK FSA has said, yes, your your dossiers of... um, of a standard that's acceptable for us now to go to the safety assessment phase. So, and it's during the safety assessment phase whether whether when a company will find out um, if they are heading towards a approval um, or if they're going to need to do extra studies. Now, with the studies, this is a very interesting. Um, uh, uh, the, the the minutes of the meeting have come out. Um, from the advisory committee on novel foods and processes this is the committee that's actually going to be doing the safety assessment reviews in the UK in those minutes okay they're draft at the moment but I'm sure there won't be too many major changes Um, but in those minutes they've actually um, had a look at two of the dossiers which have already been informally submitted and the conclusion is that the um, test data isn't good enough that's it in brief mm. the other thing which is of importance especially for the finished product manufacturer um, is that this committee is saying that they are expecting the finished product manufacturers to do their own testing and i'm not talking just about stability but the adme so um, you know the absorption metabolism excretion etc so um, so companies who thought they could just rely on their CBD supplier and literature, which is in the public domain, I'm afraid they can't. They're going to have to do their own tests. And hopefully in the next few days, um, they, they are going to publish some guidance on the kind of tests that need to be done. At the moment, they're talking about, you know, um, finished product manufacturers doing um, bridging studies. So if someone, we know the consortiums, a couple of consortiums are are doing a combined tox study um, because that's a major cost. Mm. So what the committee is saying is that if, um, if a company is relying on that consortium study, they may actually need to do a bridging study, which confirms that their CBD is similar enough to the CBD that was used in that tox study. And and then they can provide the relevant data.
0: Right. Yes, it's very complicated, isn't it? It is <laughs> a, lot, a lot to think about. So, if we can boil it down to the kind of key, um, the key things that the the companies that you know are reading and our publication, listening to this podcast, what they need to be thinking about. So, we've got, you know, if you've got a product on the market, um, or if you want to have a product on the market in the UK and the EU, but then you need to get your novel food dossier submitted uh, and get that process started. And then if, you know, if you do that, then you can get uh, a kind of initial acceptance of that and then an indication of how that's going and that gets you on the way to being able to have a, you know, a regulated product in the UK next year. And then, you know, see what happens in the EU. <laughs> but <Yes. laughs> but the good thing, what you've said uh, before is the good thing about the FSA is that they're giving free advice on those applications. So you've kind of got nothing to lose there. You know, you can get some advice on your application, have it still with the EU. Yeah. You've still got a pathway in the UK.
2: Exactly. It
0: seems like yeah. a no brainer.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the UK FSA, a lot of people think that the, the regulatory authority is a big daddy and they're just there to brandish a stick and say, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. But actually, the UK FSA is demonstrating that they are here to help. And we're urging everyone, get your dossiers in as soon as possible now to get that informal feedback, because then you'll have a much clearer idea next year when you go through the formal process, of, you know, where maybe you've got the gaps, where you're weak, and you can be working on that now in, to, in order to address those gaps and strengthen the data that you present.
0: And uh, yeah, the UK, I mean, the FSA has been really kind of proactive and pragmatic um, and seems to be very helpful from what I can see.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think hats off to them as well, because, you know, we're in this transition period. We're still, the UK is still bound by, by Europe for now. And so the UK FSA is, is, you know, there's only so much that they can do because we still need to be compliant with with Europe right now. Um, so, you know, they, they've done everything they can. But I, I suspect that, you know, come January next year, I think we will see a lot more guidance come out mm. because Brexit will have happened. And then yeah. they have the freedom to share this kind of information and guidance, which then actually leads to a question which I can't answer. <laughs> but time will tell is will the UK start to deviate from the EU novel food regulation? Mm. Because what what the UK FSA may find acceptable for the UK market for CBD products and, you know, Europe, if they decide that actually it is a novel food and not a narcotic, they may have a completely, you know, different perspective of, of what's acceptable <laughs> so who
0: knows <laughs> it could be very interesting
2: yeah <laughs> there'll be plenty
0: for us to write about anyway as usual I'm sure. <laughs> so so aside from the getting the novel food in uh, application in then yeah. you're also advising that companies do need to think about these studies safety studies um, and it's not it's not enough just to kind of rely on the existing studies which I think everyone agrees aren't particularly useful. Uh, There just isn't the data on the low dose um, efficacy is there from what I can see.
2: Exactly. And, um, you know, most of the information that is in the public domain is based on the GW Epidiolex product, and that uses medical grade CBD. What we're talking about is food grade CBD, and that does have different properties. So, you know, the the comments that's already been provided by the regulators and the feedback um, is based on that GW data. Mm. Um, and, and, but that's all they've got to go on. So, mm. so actually to, to improve what's happening in the CBD industry, I think it's critical that these tests are done anyway, mm. because then it's going to be directly applicable to these type of ingestible products and, and not to something that's to be used in a medicine. Mm.
0: And I suppose finally, um, I've got to ask if you've heard anything about the um, European Commission's deliberations on whether it's a narcotic or any thoughts on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I can't remember the exact date, um, I'd have to check, but um, I do know the European Commission apparently are going to make a decision on the WHO recommendations. Mm. Um, preliminary feedback um from uh countries who who have already considered this um is they're not keen to accept all of the who recommendations so who knows uh, and, and the more that I've looked into this subject the more I realize it's actually again very complex it's it's not as simple as just taking tinctures and extracts out of the convention um you know it's it's and it's not as simple as saying we will allow um, contamination of these products. Contamination, we mean THC Mm. of, you know, 0.2% and less Um, because the whole point is safety here. Mm. And unfortunately, drug traffickers are are very clever at um, moving drugs around. And um, I know that many legal colleagues are concerned that if there is this contamination rule put in, the drug traffickers will find a way mm. of moving drugs around um, for illegal use, but they'll be able to move it around legally. So mm. it's a very, very complex subject. And and I think a lot more thought needs to go into it and mm. um, legal input. So, yeah, it's a tricky one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be quite an event. I think the, um, yes. the meeting in December, if it goes ahead.
2: If it goes uh, ahead, I mean, yeah. we, we've had the decision cancelled three times already mm. now. So. <laughs> that
0: could cause some serious chaos, I think, if it, it was delayed again. I think the European Commission would be in a very kind of difficult place then.
2: Yes, I, I, exactly. Well said. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, it's good to catch up with you. And, You're um, welcome. Speak, speak to you again soon.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much.
0: That's all for this edition of the HPW Insight podcast. Thanks for listening. We will hopefully be following up with a CBD part two, where we speak to HPW colleagues in the US about what the situation is with regards to CBD supplements and cosmetics. But in the meantime, watch out for content on the HPW Insight website at hpw.pharmaintelligence.informer.com and take care of yourselves goodbye